Hello there. Hello there. How are you? No, it's been an interesting day. I was, for whatever reason, this is a day that I had errands scheduled where it's like go to the gym oh. and start trying to get some stuff done between 9 and 11. So inevitably, this is the day where it is just pouring. And you would catch breaks here and there. It's like, all right, is it letting up for good? And much like what you're talking about, it's like I'm either driving into it or it's just that's what the weather pattern is today. It's just going to be raining hard off and on for much of the day until we get to this point in the afternoon. It, it truly is clearing up where I am right now. That's good. Yeah, uh, well, I'm with you. I'm, I'm further south than you. But, yeah, it, it looks like it is. Uh, when I was driving in, um, our office is off B-Caves. And, man, we were just getting getting pelted. So glad to be here. Glad to be on with you. Glad to be feeling better. Glad to have my stomach back to a normal spot, which you never really, you, you never appreciate it until, until it's not there. Yeah. Kind of like your opposable thumbs too, from what I've been told. Now, traffic in this town is never great in part because there's so many bad drivers around us. I'm assuming you and I had a uh, similar experience with regards to people becoming even worse when it's raining hard outside. And it just seems like a good time for everybody to be a little bit more cautious about things. Yeah. I will say a majority on Mopac credit to them. Um, we're treating it the way they should. And, but there are a couple people darting in and out. And I was thinking you are going to probably be in a wreck. So hopefully you don't hurt anyone else and hopefully you don't hurt yourself, but. You shouldn't be driving that way. But yeah, I mean, I, I got lucky on, on both Mopac trips. You know, for the most part, people were, were pretty smart about it. And then there are some people that that shouldn't be on the road because going 20 when it's when you can still see on Mopac, that's not safe either, to be honest. It's stay with the speed of traffic, put a little bit more distance between you and the yep. car in front of uh, you and the car in front of you. Obviously, you only have so much say so about the car behind you, but also don't be driving alongside other cars either on a two or three lane road. Like put like spacing is important. That spatial understanding. It's always key with not getting in accidents and avoiding really serious wrecks under normal dry conditions. And these conditions, it's just that much more imperative. I don't know yeah. what it is about Tesla drivers and the reputation that they're starting to establish now, dude, but it's almost a daily basis where I encounter just a complete asshole of a Tesla driver that wants to show how fast their car can go or is trying to rub you out because they're in a Tesla and you're not. There's a Tesla driver today who, for whatever reason, just decided because there was a line of cars in front of him in the right lane that he was in. I was in the left lane going at normal speed because quarter mile back, I saw that long line of cars and wanted to make sure I didn't get stuck in it too. Well, even though I was pretty much even with where his bumper was because I was about to pass him. He decides to swerve over real quick and then speed up and then swerve back once he's past that line. And it's like, dude, you're the one who makes a mistake to begin with. So don't just go with the, hey, good luck, everyone else attitude as you cut one car or a couple of cars off to ensure that you don't have to break your pace. You've already yeah. made that mistake. Now you have to live with it. Yep. That's how it works, man. And yeah, you would think Tesla drivers, uh, whatever you think about it, I, I think, and maybe there, maybe it's virtue signaling with some, I'm sure it is with some, but I think a lot of them truly care about the planet and they think this is going to help out. And that's why, that's why they're doing it. That's why they're paying exorbitant amounts or they're, 
you know, still dealing with a Zur charging station. Can I drive to Arizona? So there's a kind of a pain in the ass there. But you would think just the nature of of what they're trying to do in life wouldn't lead to that type of driving. Yeah, and uh, I guess I shouldn't be lumping all Tesla drivers in together, but there is a rash you you of people with Teslas. Yeah, who have that attitude. And by the way, Teslas are also one of the self-driving cars right now too. So maybe it's not so much the driver and the button that they press that is deciding to uh, drive in a fairly aggressive manner. But that technology isn't ready yet, right? Isn't that one of the technologies like flying that you 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 really want to? I mean, we can't just break that out when we're for about eighty-five. Per, no, it's got to be a hundred percent, and we've tested it for ten years, kind of like a vaccine sadly it's at like 50 or 60 percent right now yet we are still seeing driverless taxis all over downtown austin california is about to shut them down the specific company that's here in austin cruise because there's just been way too many incidents where they don't understand how to handle situations that we maybe take for granted but the issue that the driverless car programmers are running into is that you can't properly account for Life. human stupidity, I guess, to put it simply, right. but also very basic situations where it's like you need to react a certain way versus thinking that all you do is stop your brakes, but then you just keep going forward at a certain point in time. Cause that's the problem that we ran into whenever I got into my physical altercation with one of those driverless cruise taxis is we were trying to parallel into a spot downtown and had the brake lights on and everything. And this cruise just comes up to us and, is within a couple of feet of us and made no effort to get around, made no effort to back up because it sees reverse lights on. It's just ready to continue going forward. Yeah, we're, we're not ready for that. And I don't think it's needed either. So, No, it's not. Right, we've got a lot more stuff that's needed in life. Like us talking sports, buddy. That's right. Great transition there. Hey, we meant not to talk really. about this on Tuesday and I... I truly like there's very few people I care uh, their opinions about these things, these issues that become dead horse issues over a very small amount of time. Uh, We're looking at one of those right now with the Michigan sign stealing scandal that started to crop up last weekend and seems to only continue to get uglier for the folks at Michigan. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Man, I, the more I look into it, the more it does. There are a lot of parallels with baseball and the sign stealing. And so I would say it's even more rampant. Every, almost every big, actually every big school is doing this. Hmm. Now the parallel to baseball also is to what degree, right? And the Astros were certainly doing it at a high degree. I don't know if the Dodgers, it seems like the Red Sox and Yankees were right up there, but they, you know, they, they took it to another level. But everyone's been doing this for years. And I actually saw a tweet today that was interesting. Just to recap, Connor Stallions, who's the guy who was caught with Michigan, um, filmed Tennessee and Clemson sidelines for calls. South Carolina becomes unstoppable and wins versus Tennessee and Clemson. What was the other interesting stuff here? Um, there were a couple of things. Um, yeah, South Carolina's defense – in the Tennessee game wore wristbands the entire every, every every player wore wristbands for the Tennessee game that was the only game they did that that year 
I mean, so so it, it does help. And for the people that say it doesn't help, it does. It's just like knowing a pitch is coming. You're not necessarily going to hit it, but you're going to have a better chance of hitting it. And if you know a toss sweep's coming or a, a pass is coming, then yeah, it, it of course it's going to help out. So it's been going on forever. The the interesting thing to me when you when you get a little deeper with it is that the main the big college programs certainly have enough money to do what the NFL did, right? I mean, how did baseball fix it? How did the NFL fix it? Oh, well, you know. Baseball now, literally, it's audio in your ear. Same thing with football. College football could do that at a high level. I'm not sure that South Dakota State could do it, but as I told you earlier, South Dakota State's playing Montana. I'm not sure they don't have unlimited budgets to be to have the Connor Stallions of the world going to 13 different games, right? But they could do that. I think the dirty little secret is none of the coaches want that because they all do it. So they're telling ADs, they're telling people in charge, hey, look, you don't say we said this, but we don't want that because we're stealing signs, okay? So I, the next step clearly is to, and they should have done this a little while ago, is to do what the NFL does, get rid of it. It's like we talked about on Tuesday. All we want is fairness here, or as fair as, as close as it can be to fair. And you could say, well, this is just, you need to hide it better. Well, if someone's going to the level that Michigan reportedly was, then no, we need to nip that in the bud, man. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. There's no coincidence that going back about a month, we've been hearing folks on the college side gripe about the fact that major universities don't have this helmet radio frequency system in place like the NFL does. Like it is a little bit of a financial commitment. It's not a huge commitment though, is it? Like I realize a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars. And for San Diego or for uh, San South Dakota state, it's more difficult to pay for than heck even a, a Kansas or a Kansas state, but you should theoretically have the money to pay for that. What is, what is that radio frequency system? What has Kansas basketball payroll been the last 30 years per year? What if, And I'm talking pre-NIL. So, I mean, these teams were spending tons on to get players, to get 18-year-olds who may or may not work out. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's probably in the budget. You, you can find some spot to do it. And once again, as I always say, if any budget needs if, – if there's anyone in the family who gets to get new jeans, it's football. Because they bring in the money. Yep. New jeans to go along with the laser tag parks and the lazy rivers and all the other bells and whistles. So this is horrible. Who has, who has that, by the way? Are those college football programs? Uh, I believe Clemson had both of those things, which kudos Dabo for spending that yeah. money before it was legally allowed to go to the players and then bitching about the fact that players are getting paid. Yeah, he's going to have to change. I told you preseason, the whole transfer portal thing with them is going to bite him in the butt. And I thought they'd be better than they are right now. But but that that that's it. And Clemson, funny enough, was the school that was that was stealing signs the best for a long time. Brent Venables and the oh, hmm. that, that was known years ago uh, during their run that that they were really, really good at that. I know when Notre Dame played them, when a lot of different teams played them. That was that was kind of a concern that 
that they have our signs and and they're doing a pretty good job of relaying. Is this Harbaugh's last season in Ann Arbor? It sure feels like it. Yeah, we'll be in the NFL next year. It's just too much piling up, and he's not going to be able to get away from this and say, I had no idea. We, we know how that goes. So to go with the self-serves or the you know three-game suspension that, that he put on himself, knowing the NCAA was already going after him, I think it'll be his last year. Which I, which I think sucks. I mean, I, I, I like Jim Harbaugh in college football. So even though it appears that he's been doing some some dirty stuff, but as I've said, a lot, a lot of teams have been doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be, wouldn't you be surprised if he comes back? Like you said, there's just too much piling on top of him right now. And even yeah. if he's being made into a little bit of a martyr here, the links with which Michigan was going is trumping a lot of other programs and how they're going about their sign stealing too. So somebody has to take a fall for that. And it's not going to be as CB puts it, the, uh, the, the excellent porn name of Connor stallions. That's not going to be enough bloodlust or that's not going to be enough to satisfy the bloodlust of college football fans with all of this. So somebody bigger is going to have to go down. It'll likely be Harbaugh who goes back to the NFL it's interesting to think about which teams he could go with. Some people have suggested the Cowboys, although I hear more Lincoln Riley at the Cowboys. I don't even know how good of a how good of a hire that would be at this point for Dallas. Yeah. But folks have suggested the Chicago Bears for Harbaugh. Maybe that makes sense. He was a he was the quarterback there for a little while. Midwest too. Midwest also, yeah, that's a great point. But yeah, if he's going back to the NFL after this season, there will be a line of suitors to try and get his services he he has proven to be one of the few guys who's been able to make the uh, transition from one to the other i'll give you a team that has a ton of talent and a great young quarterback who definitely needs a head coach chargers yeah i was gonna say justin herbert yep chargers and he also Uh, has a history there too yeah he does san diego you're right even though they're in LA now, right? But last time they made an AFC championship game was was with him at quarterback. Really? I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and I only remember that because I I can remember watching that game on TV. I don't have your memory when it comes to recalling games that I watched in the past, but that one was in a it was at like a house party, like my parents and other families were getting together for it. And I just remember no. That may have been him with the Colts. Yeah, he was with the Colts, yeah. Okay, well, false memory then, my bad. Well, it probably helps if you go back and rewatch every game 20 times. It, it would. It would help. It would help everybody but me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and your family. <laughs> and my family. Uh, but yeah. No, it, it, what's up? Anything else you wanted to say about this? I mean, not really. I'm, I'm just curious how it all plays out. And yeah, I mean, they seem to be out out for blood right now. And I understand. I mean, I'm look, I'm, I'm not defending Jim Harbaugh, um, but I'm also being real about the situation that it that it's everywhere. So like penalizing Michigan and Jim Harbaugh is not going to fix the larger problem that is widespread. I, I would say it's more widespread than baseball. Now, I'm doing that by percentages because there's only 30 teams in baseball, but of the major colleges, they're all doing this. And they have been for a long time. Now, to what degree, once again, like baseball, once again, there's just a ton of parallels. Uh, I, I don't know. but but And we're probably not going to find out. 
Yeah, I mean, they're they're laying the groundwork to have people be completely okay with college football having radio signals going into quarterback helmets, period. Mm -hmm. It's like anytime you see a story pop up of either college football, but more likely the NFL busting guys for gambling and saying, oh, sorry, you're suspended for six games or you're suspended for a year, you're suspended indefinitely. Look around and see if there is legislation in that area that is trying to get sports gambling more legalized in that state. Good call. Oftentimes there's a parallel. Wow. And it's very strange, isn't it, that we're hearing about guys getting busted for gambling in the middle of the offseason? Well, guess, guess what also happens in the middle of the offseason? Sometimes voting sessions happen in the middle of the offseason. So uh, very rarely are there coincidences with these things. They are synchronistic or they are intentional or deliberate. Ah, feel like a rube. Never thought about it, but it makes sense. Well, that's the effect that you and I have on one another. We'll uh, we'll make coherent points about things and cause the other one to think. It's why I think other people enjoy hearing you and me go back and forth on shit, too. Yeah. I was talking with a buddy last night. He said, I love when you and Trey get after each other. It's like you can tell when someone tells someone to F off and the other one smiles and starts laughing that you guys are pretty tight. You know, I'm like. Yep, that's that's definitely true. But yeah, definitely getting a lot of good feedback from people. Appreciate everyone who's watching uh, or listening. And, you know, it's been definitely been a ton of fun. So I'm excited about this weekend, man. I'm excited about Malik. We'll get to that. Before that, though, I'm curious because I think you still follow recruiting closer than I do. Not that you follow it as closely as either of us did in like, you know, college, high school or college days. I would say the height of my recruiting fandom would have been probably 12 to to 28, maybe 25 around there. Um, and it got it got ridiculous where I'd go to Copper Tank to go see Catch and the, the DVD that he put out, you know, and like go to Copper Tank and not the drink, right? I mean, maybe you get a beer, but it was like, I don't care about that. Like, yeah, I want to see the video. Um, so I was all into it. It just, so many guys didn't work out that I just, I understand it's important. So I'm not trying to devalue it. I get it. You can throw it up there. The last 21 national championships have had this many born five stars. I get it. I, I totally get it. So I'm, I'm not trying to, to discredit that point, but as a fan. And once you become an adult with a life, I, I appreciate all my friends that fit that in with their three kids full-time job, wife, um, coaching the tennis team, like everything. I'm like, yeah, how are you so up to date on this? But Wingo is one of those guys I was definitely, definitely obviously following. And it seemed re really seemed like just on the outside that, that Mizzou was the heavy favorite for a little while, but late, you know, late, I guess it, it turned Texas. Is that NIL? Yeah. Yeah. When a guy flips from one school that he's been the highest on for a long time to another that's been in the race, but had been fading recently. It's I'm just saying this generally, I have no particular knowledge about the Ryan Wingo recruitment, but you can probably accurately guess that NIL played a part that the other side upped their offer and was evil, either able to match 
what the other school wanted or what the, uh, the individual themselves or the individual's family was asking for his services at that school for the next year. You know, there's what else, thing- what else without any specific knowledge and just you spitballing here? Um, what, uh, what else, what else about this recruitment? Uh, first off, do you think it'll stick? It's a great question. Great question, because sometimes a kid's parents want him to go someplace more than he wants to actually go there, and eventually the the kid is able to win out. But it sounded like, based on what Ryan Wingo was saying yesterday, that he is in love with the Steve Sarkeesian offense and just what it does for wide receivers. And there is uh, certainly a track record. Steve Sarkeesian getting the ball to his most productive receivers, his most talented receivers – and setting them setting them up for uh, nice days at the office, so to speak, while they are playing at uh, Texas or Alabama, or pick a school from Sark's past, and then they have really uh, nice paydays in the NFL too before it's all said and done. So when you consider that Arch Manning, you put Jonte Cook in that category over these next few years, but Arch Manning doesn't have uh, a ton of five star talents that he is currently going to be throwing it to over the next couple of years. So for Ryan Wingo to come in and to be rated slightly higher than John Tay Cook is right now, like that's a huge get for Texas. And it's a huge deal for Ryan Wingo because he understands that ratings wise, he is looked at as a potential the guy. Now there's still a long ways to go there, obviously, but for Texas, they needed to land a guy like this, even if, the prospects were fading with them over the last week or so because they haven't exactly been killing it, recruiting at wide receiver this cycle. They've got a couple of nice players at that position who will develop into good dudes, or you hope they will. But as far as a guy who can set foot on campus immediately and maybe make that impact with what you're probably losing off of this year's roster, not just in terms of wide receivers, by the way, JT Sanders is also going to be gone. So there's going to be a ton of opportunity for playing time that shouldn't just be filled with guys on the roster or true freshmen coming in. You need to go to the transfer portal to try and help replenish the wide receiver position after this year. But they haven't uh, been stellar recruiting at wide receiver up to this point. And Ryan Wingo ratings wise takes them a couple more steps in that direction. This dude has a ton of athleticism. Yeah. I saw does a good job of catching the football. I think he's still a little bit raw right now, but if he's an early enrollee, maybe you can get him in here, get an off season, in that strength and conditioning program that looks pretty good right now and let him go through those spring reps to really get him up to speed and have him competing for a starting spot come fall. A lot of good points there. Yeah. I, I'm not Brian Hartline in terms of evaluating receivers, but I've seen enough in my life that I thought your scouting report's perfect from the limited video I saw. So. And that, that's all. That's always the catch with all of these things, right? right? That's why both you and I became disillusioned with this whole thing. Like we hear a guy is this or that, and you watch the highlight tape, and the highlight tape can get, look really good, but you also look at the competition, and it's like, oh, it's a bunch of five eight white guys that this dude is playing right now. So I hope he looks good in these in this situation. And then you see guys going up going up against better talent, and they look really good in those situations. But it's also highlights too. It's why full game tape is so important to see how a player looks play in and play out. We talked about the Texas program, the, the decline. And when that started, it actually started during, you know, what, 08, 09 in terms of recruiting for the future. 
maybe even 07. And I think the staff, part of the getting lazy was just watching highlight tapes and probably just looking at rankings too much. And that that is a crucial point. You have to look at game film. You got to see the bad, the good. You got to see it all. And that takes a lot of time. But once again, getting back to unlimited resources, you got a whole room full of people that are just sitting there. You've got you've got the money. So spend the time. Oh, you and I are completely disillusioned to this process because it became a 24 7, 365 days a year right. um, pr- process, I guess, to, uh, to right. repeat myself with that word. But that's the reality now, too. So, yes, you hire people who are enthusiastic and, and passionate about it and also good at going in and watching the extended game tape to make sure that what you're pursuing or who you're going after does fit properly into what you want to do at that position on whichever side of the ball it is. I would think that you just show on a loop when wide receivers come in on their trip. I know you may not want to do this as long as you're not looking at Alabama, maybe to show the Devonte Smith and what Sark did with him, you know, the, the jerk routes and the motion, the yo-yo plays they ran against Ohio state in the championship game. You just show that like, so you want to go to Mizzou? Um, this, this is your guy. So I'm excited about it. I mean, trust me. I mean, I, I you know, and by the way, I also as a kid dreamt of having 365 recruiting. Remember, I, I woke up every morning and called the Austin American Statesman number, the Suzanne Halliburton number. Every morning I went to bed calling him. And I called that, I mean, I called that thing 25 times a day. I, I When I got home from school, I called it. That's what I called. And uh, so I, I wanted it, but yeah, I just think it's, it, and I also know it's important, but it's kind of cool to be more on the back and, and just see them land stuff and go, all right, well, I hope on this, in this case, I hope he sticks and then I hope he works out. And if he does, we'll look back and go, man, that was a huge commitment. Yeah. And sometimes you are crushed about a guy choosing to flip to someplace else and it turns out to work out okay for you. Like Ryan Perry, who's a great example of that. Right. Going the other direction, even though he turned into a decent enough player by the time, by his, by the time he was done here in Austin, like Malik Jefferson, as big a deal is made of his recruitment and Malik miss when he chose Texas, he was a bit of a disappointment. His first three years on campus. Yeah, I, I, Gary you know Johnson came in and helped him better understand how to play the linebacker position at the college level, and he was a much more effective player. I think I think Malik Malik was one of our clients, and Malik was just—I mean, he is—he's as legit a guy as you would think, right? Yeah. Um, but I think Malik would tell you that. Uh, I would also add for Malik, doesn't help when you don't do squats for four years, and the coaches and the strength coach didn't have you do that. Yeah, that's not not good. Yeah kind of big in, in football and certainly that position. Who was Charlie's strength and conditioning coach? Pat Moore. Was that it? That's right. Yeah. Guy looked like Debo from Friday. Yeah. He looked, he he looked like dudes doing squats. The arguably the most important of the main compound lifts that you could do with something that would translate onto the field. When was the last time you've done a real squat? I mean, if I ever do squats, and even, heck, even by the time I'm mid-20s, I was just doing Smith squats. Laugh all you want, but, 
you know, I wasn't training for anything. It was more about getting that ass off. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't even like the, I, I, I'm not crazy about the Smith squat machine because I don't think that it's, uh, that it adheres to my natural movement pattern whenever I'm getting into that squat position. But I also don't like loading a barbell on my back. It just, it messes with my spine. So I do what are considered hex bar deadlifts, but are essentially squats where you are, you're grabbing the bar. You know what the hex bar is? It's literally yeah. Yeah. hex bar. Yeah. Uh, also known as the uh, the trap bar because trap you're bar, yeah. carry it around. But uh, yeah, so you, you get that and you can grip it from the side or you can go up and down. It has a very similar effect. So that's the closest thing I get to doing squats. Either that or like body weight squats I'll do sometimes with my heels elevated because it helps if you have knee issues, which I do having torn the meniscus in my right knee a couple of times. And then occasionally I'll grab like a kettlebell or something and hold that out in front of me too. And doing the body weight squats. Do you feel like the Texas strength and conditioning? I mean, it's always hard to tell, but do you feel like that's in a good spot right now? Gosh, up until three weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. I know. Day to day, week to week. Right. You know, they did, um, they did something interesting when Tori Becton came in, they did something that I hadn't seen before out of a football strength and conditioning program. They actually split, the strength and conditioning programs up mm-hmm. had different coaches in charge for each. That makes sense. Doesn't it? It does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because if somebody is, has an expertise in strength, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have an expertise in conditioning. Now you can understand both pretty well, but if you have someone who is more fine tuned on one than the other and you have two people like that one who can cover each then yeah let that person be the most in charge and also have uh some folks underneath them who are students of the art form but uh, you can also lean on for their perspective and advice on things too so i think that this team has shown that they're really well conditioned this year and i think we have mm, golly although i think back to that oklahoma game and then i start to doubt myself i, I think they have shown increases in conditioning for sure but then also strength too i agree um that it does make sense to split that up in fact it would seem more rare that someone is that good at both i mean at that point you bring in you bring in like what schwarzenegger for strength and jim fix for for uh conditioning they don't they don't eat lunch very often together yeah schwarzenegger and prefontaine prefontaine that's a better one yeah, uh, we, stole, we stole them from phil knight <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's, um, gosh, exercise science has come so far in just the last like 10 to 15 years now. Yeah. And that's really when my, I guess my interest started in high school when I got myself and when I stopped being a fat kid and got myself in shape for the very first time. But really in the last 10 to 15 years, it's, you know, I've been on this ride for much of this time. So you get a lot of bullshit supposed science to go along with legitimate advice and legitimate activities and legitimate nutrition that really can help somebody lit to, uh, to live a, a healthier, um, less inflamed life to put it bluntly. That's but, why I like, that's why I like having, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go for it. Um, that's why I like having buddies that like my recruiting buddies that I can call up and be like, all right, what's going on here? Dude. 
you're not going to believe it. And because they're all into it. And you're my buddy for a lot of different things, but certainly with that, because that way I can let y'all go through all the bullshit and decipher all the, yeah. So I read 15 things the other day and, it, you know, or three years ago and three ended up being right. Well, which three are those, Trey? Because I may I may pick your brain on that. You can leave the other 12 out. I don't get the insane interest in recruiting. I don't. Well, I know, but at I, 45, I just I don't I don't have the time anymore. Yeah. I definitely don't have the time for this being something that is a year-round deal now, but it just gets to be too much. And at a certain point, I just I stopped putting so much stock in how a kid who's still in high school is going to be able to help my college that's, football program. That's completely fair. Um, but yeah, I was just talking about my friends that do that or my friends that do something, you know, or friends that, that maybe I'm probably the guy and you'd be the guy too. People come to us are like, Hey, what restaurant should I go to in Chicago? And you're yeah. like, Oh, I was actually reading something the other day in the, you know, times food and dining section. And, you know, apparently this is a really good one. Then I went, online and looked it up and or I saw it on one of these food shows and it's, you know, where we spend a lot of time. And so anytime you spend that much time on anything, you're going to run into a lot of, a lot of bullshit and just stuff that, you know, the, the average person doesn't need to know, but they can go to someone who is an expert or lives in that world and say, Hey, you know, what do I do here? And you're definitely one of those people. I mean, heck, you know, I, with my hit and kind of getting everything figured out, I've, talk to you about, Hey, I really want to get my lower half where it was. And, but I don't necessarily want to do like a heavy leg day. I'm not going to go do Smith squats at my age. I'm afraid I'm going to hurt something probably until I really build up a better base. And, and you, you've given me a lot of good tips. I mean, hell, a lot of good tips about um, just sciatica and hip in general. Oh man. Yeah. The, the sciatica thing started for me 15 years ago and it's, it's an occasional battle now, thankfully. It's not a full-time thing, but part of it is is making sure that I'm getting out and exercising regularly. Like I'm convinced yeah. that that is something that helps far more often than it hurts. But just through going through the motions, like you learn certain mobility things to get uh, your body functioning properly again. And those are the nuclear options. There's masseuses and dry needling and uh, the folks over at NuFit you do a great job of uh, hooking electrodes to you, reverse current electrodes, and having you go through certain motions that are painful to yeah. help you regain that muscle memory, to probably put it way too simply. Uh, but it starts with you taking care of yourself and understanding how to deal with those nagging little things on your own first and foremost, because that other stuff gets really expensive. You try and do too much of it. I mean, that's, I've, I've kind of learned how to, how to cope with stuff on my own out of necessity. Cause it's like, I don't have, I don't have a hundred plus dollars to spend in a single day for a, for a rehab session to get my yeah. back, back on track. As much as I would like that. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not working with fuck you money right now. Unfortunately. I'm not either. Most of us aren't. Um, I, I would, if I, if I was, I would go to, um, new fit cause new fits great. And, oh, yeah. and luckily we, we got, we got really good deals there. Cause, uh, cause we were, uh, doing some payola. Sorry, FCC. Um, well, but- this is, this is also after I rear ended one of the, uh, the, the co-founders of new fit too. Yeah. And he also got in a car wreck too. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. You set yourself up there, man. 
Yes, I did. And this guy was huge, and and it was a great guy. Luckily, I mean, oh. could have could have picked up any of us and just thrown us a hundred yards. Who who passed you by? It wasn't me. I hope no. Who it was Chad. It was Chad. <laughs> he would have stopped. Chatty passed I, me by. I would have stopped. I Chad, stopped. Said, Chad said that I he, he got out of the car, would have rolled down my window and still had it in drive in case he got mad. Chad thought Chad said that he thought everything was okay. The theory is, is that Chad saw how big a dude it was that I had uh, run into and he was afraid to stop. My true belief with that is Chad and I were, uh, we were at one another's throats for something, not just that day, but it had been like a bad week for the both of us. And so he just had no desire to stop and help me out. And so I'm not saying I completely excuse him there. It was still a, a, a pretty uh, pretty unfortunate move by him that he still hears about to this day, obviously. But yeah, it was... Fortunately, it turned out to be a uh, really cool situation for all of us, you and me especially, because I don't know yeah. how, how much Chad actually went down there to take advantage of Newfit. Those guys... Chad ever did. No, they, they, they know how to get you right, though. They're great, man. They're great. And yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a lot of the same people, but good people, good owner, good business. Um, Yeah. And and obviously, you know, I mean, we're in a spot where we can go. We can go. We just like you said, you can't go every day. And so I need actually I need to set up some some appointments with them because they're also right on my way to work now. So that'd work out well. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, speaking of injuries or speaking of getting your body right. Obviously, we're going to get into Malik and what we think about that with Quinn out. But I saw a couple couple of the great reporters talking about how, I guess Sark did a Zoom, that there are a lot of guys back. And I think one thing we've seen since the Oklahoma game, or since the Alabama game, I should say, is that Texas has obviously played well. They've won every game since then. But maybe some of the things, some of the frustrating things for Texas fans that you just think, man, they're not, you're not playing the same way you were, you know, this team is they're deeper than they have been. Cause they can fill out a starting roster now. Hey, we got a starting lineup. We got 22. What do you think about that? And they've got some depth in some positions behind that, but they're not, it's not a college football playoff team in terms of depth. And when I say that y'all, when I say college football playoff team, I'm not talking about 2023. Because there will probably be only two of those when it's all said and done. There may only be one. There may be none. Uh, I'm talking in a usual year of a college football playoff team. A Clemson back in the day. A Georgia. An Alabama. Not this year. Teams like that that have just been stacked and can really go 50 deep. Texas is not that. Is, is that. is that fair? Is that too much criticism? There was a lot of conversation about how much the depth has improved for this Texas roster. I, I'm guilty. And it, it's not it's not completely wrong, but I think when we were having that conversation, we were neglecting to point out the position groups that don't have great depth. Yep. Like the positions with good depth right now. Running back, yep. you feel pretty good about the quarterback room. Yep. Even if a couple of guys had no real experience. Although, well, TBD, right? Yeah, TBD. We'll find Five out. receiver room seemed to have okay depth. Not great depth. Okay depth, but improving. Tight ends. Depth Two. is 
decent. You got two. You got a, a starter and a backup. Offensive line, it's better. It's better. I overrated that. That they're not they're not as as deep as I thought. Well, and so here's the issue with that too, though. Cole Hudson was looked at as a sort of Swiss Army knife on that yeah. offensive line. So when your Swiss Army knife goes down to injury, bingo, then it hurts depth wise more than just about anybody else in that room. Save your starting tackles, right? Right. So no, I, I, I think I think I said it after the OU game that Cole Hudson. What I realize now is that Cole Hudson being out maybe the second most important lineman. I'm not saying he's the second best lineman. You could say third, Banks and Jones. You've got to have those guys, and they've been really good, and you've got to have good tackles. But if Hudson goes out, then you lose three positions. You lose, like, three backups, you know? And so, yeah, that 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 does really hurt. And I think Texas felt that. But Hudson will be back. Um, I mean, it, the, what was the list? I'm sure you have it. But it was – a bunch of guys that have been out. Sounds like Ryan uh, Ryan Watts is going to play. And you know what? I I got to give you credit because you said that Texas was going to feel that. I, I didn't discount that or disagree with that, but I wanted to see. And you were right. Like they they felt that. And boy, they don't have depth in the secondary right now. So that's that's one of the positions that you need to take a more nuanced look, right? Because defensive line, good depth. Linebacker. Now we talked about this. Linebacker doesn't have great depth. Secondary, we said, yeah, secondary has a lot of depth. Secondary has okay depth at cornerback. They are dog shit at safety right now. And a lot of us felt like there wouldn't be that big of a drop-off with Ryan Watts out and Muhammad coming in for him because it felt like Muhammad was a better cornerback in terms of defending guys downfield. And he's been okay. He hasn't been one of the biggest problems in that secondary. And he's also Uh, played his fifth game or whatever, starting his third. So... Him and, him and Derek, I give a lot of leeway to, man. Ryan Watts' physicality, not only as a cornerback defending the pass, but also coming up and making life difficult for the opposing offense on the perimeter. Yep. Is something that we should not take for granted going forward, assuming that he stays in this lineup through the end of the year. And so, yeah, getting him back is going to be a big deal. I just... Like getting Ryan Watts back is great, but Ryan Watts was also experiencing coverage busts earlier this year that weren't being capitalized on by opposing quarterbacks. And this was a problem last year too. So that doesn't necessarily fix all your problems, especially because Ryan Watts doesn't play safety. And safety position has flat out sucked these last couple of games. Cornerbacks have been a little bit less bad than that, but still not good. And the linebackers have been suspect in pass coverage too. And BYU as Average to bad as they are on offense, Keaton Slovis, who is a statue back there in the pocket, does like attacking the middle of the field, and he has a bunch of big-bodied wide receivers to try and do so with, too. Yeah, no, you're going to see a lot of crossers and a lot of rub routes, and Texas better be ready for that. The communication's got to be a lot better. Um, So I'm looking at the list now. I don't see Catalan. Is Catalan still up? He's still out. I, I don't know if we see Catalan again this year. Like yeah. he was a guy who came to this program, a pretty broken dude. And they tried to deploy him as diplomatically as possible, as wisely yeah. as possible to help him save his body, but utilize his skill set against the best teams on the schedule. And they did it with Alabama. May have played a couple of games 
in between. But then the Oklahoma game, they're obviously getting him as many reps as possible, and he hurts himself. Yep. And that sucked to see, but it also wasn't surprising. And so for him not to be mentioned at all by Steve Sarkeesian today, I, j- I just wonder if his time is up now. If he's at that point where his body's just not letting him get back out there again. Or best case scenarios are trying to save him for a Kansas State team that you are truly going to need all hands on deck to stop an offense that all of a sudden has really come alive with Chris Kleiman deciding to go with a quarterback rotation that is actually working right now and getting the true freshman, Avery Johnson. Yes, white mulleted Avery Johnson reps in between when Will Howard is in there. I really have not looked at a lot of Kansas State this year. I mean, I've been following, obviously, that they've gotten better, and I've, I've watched highlights, but I haven't really watched a full game. I haven't watched nearly as much Big 12 this year as I usually do, and for obvious better reasons. Off for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a college football fan. I mean, I, I usually try and watch just for this, for the four hours I do, um, or the five if you want to count postgame, and, you know, just to be somewhat educated on it, but not like I used to when I was doing 20 – 22 hours or whatever our post games were with the 20 hours per week where I, I would tape big 12 games, but it was g- good year not to do that. Cause this is the, this is the worst big 12 I've ever, ever seen. I mean, I've, I've watched enough to see that. Yeah. I've watched the last three Kansas games and I'd watched them intermittently up to that point, but three Kansas games State ago, or Kansas, Kansas state. Okay. Intermittently uh, before that, but the game three weeks ago was that night game in Stillwater, that Friday night game in Stillwater. Where I Will watched Howard a little of that. Yeah. Terrible. And Will yeah. Howard had looked a little bit better the following week at Texas Tech, but you could still see that that offense needed a bit of a spark. And Avery Johnson, he'll complete some passes, but he is a really good runner right now. And uh, something that is at least was hard for Texas Tech and last week's opponent to even begin to uh, get a handle on. So the combination of those two guys, it's uh, has sort of a, a thunder and lightning feel to it. Like what you normally see out of a, a running back position with two really good backs who complement one another. Well, that's what Will Howard and Avery Johnson are doing right now. And so this is a game that two weeks ago, I wasn't that worried about any, anymore, even though at the start of the year, you circle the Kansas state game, you're happy. It's in Austin because the Wildcats have had a really hard time winning games in Austin, even throughout their run of dominance. A lot of that was happening in Manhattan in the earlier part of this century, but that that has become a very huge game in these last few weeks, and one that, I mean, you don't take any of these games for lightly. I know that has become a bit cliche, but that is the toughest game the rest of the way, without question, unless you get to the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, and as I've said, depending on – I mean, we have no idea what the Texas offense is going to look like. And and also, talk about giving leeway, I, I'm going to give Malik a ton of leeway and rope. You know, and and God, I hope I hope he comes out and just kills it. I hope that we look back and go, God, we do have a bunch of depth at quarterback. I know there's talent there, but you just don't know until a guy gets in there. He's thrown one pass, and it was a screen. By the way, how many of those smoke screens are we going to see in this game? <laughs> well it's definitely going to be the first play of the game it'll be the first pass I, if i can go to vegas and and put the mortgage on it the first pass will be that my guess is they run early on probably but yeah no. you always you want to get an experienced quarterback that confidence see the first jumper go in there see it you know rip the net this, this is one of those it'll be a i'd be shocked if it isn't that you know what'd be great if he's smart to fake that, have the guy who's blocking 
you know, stock block and then shoot up. Release. Yeah, release. Yeah. Uh, boy, yeah, that's turned into the 2023 version of the uh, Greg Davis tunnel screen. And Steve Sarkeesian is really good at scripting that opening set of plays. So I'm not going to be surprised to see him give Malik Murphy some easy read and throws. And if he's successful with those early, then he's going to start to expand the playbook a little bit more and challenge Malik Murphy a little bit more while hopefully also allowing him to operate quite a bit off of play action Mm -hmm. because the whole idea of balance, which is very relative to the pieces that you have, to the offense that you run, as Mike Leach talked about so many years ago, balance is not 50-50. It is very rarely 50-50, I should say. Sometimes it can be. Whatever the balance has been up to this point, it needs to skew a little bit heavier for the run, at least this week. That's not That's not saying that Malik Murphy is not that good. It's recognizing that he has limited experience and not wanting to put too much on his shoulders in his first college start, while also maybe giving the ball a few more times to one of the leading rushers in college football right now, as well as, speaking of the thunder-lightning thing, as well as a hard-running true freshman who last week looked as healthy as he's been since game one of week one. Unless you're at practice every day, you can't take a spring game. You, you For people that, and, and I like this, I think as a fan, you should probably go this direction. But if you're that adamant that Malik's going to be, the, Malik's going to be amazing. God, I hope you're right. You may be, but you're not right because you know that right now. Because no one knows. And and we'll find out in, in live, with live bullets just how good he is. But yeah, a lot of that's on Sark to, to make sure that the game plan takes care of him, obviously plays to his strengths, protects his weaknesses and, and let him, you know, I am excited to see him kind of grip it and rip it downfield. This team has been erratic to say, to say the least with, with downfield passing at times Quinn has hit. I mean, you know, Alabama hit heck the, uh, the ball, the worthy was really nice. But I know they're facing a lot of three deep, and I know they're facing the inverted Tampa two. Um, but it'd be nice to see them kind of let it go a little bit. And I also wonder if you don't see that as much early on in this game because yeah. they know they got to stop the run, and they know the run's coming, and that's maybe when you can take advantage of that and, and get in some true one-on-one situations. Yeah, I like your thought there. We, we're not going to see nearly as much three deep team shouldn't be as worried about that now so that'll be there for Steve Sarkeesian to test out and we know he does like throwing deep now to his credit he wised up after the Alabama game and saw how many teams or pretty much every opponent was running uh was running three high and so he wasn't trying to force the issue nearly as much and it's worked out pretty well so far but if he does see that uh that opening then you imagine we get maybe three to five deep balls out of Malik Murphy before it's all said and done. But we could also see Arch Manning in the game too. I know that, you know, if Malik is successful, you don't necessarily want to take him out of the game, but that's the game plan. And that's something that he talked about with these guys and saying, look, I I want you to succeed and I believe you will succeed, but we need to get both of you at least a little bit of experience right now, because Malik, if you go down, then Arch Manning comes into the game literally not having taken a snap at the college level. That is pretty far from ideal too. Pretty far from ideal. Watts is back. 
Hudson's back. Those are both huge. Uh, you know, guys played pretty well this year, I think, and and finally kind of lived up to it. I don't know if he's lived up to whatever the billing was, but looks the part. and looks like a guy who may actually go play at the next level is Alfred Collins. And and Collins apparently is, is totally healthy. I mean, that's another spot where I do feel like they, they've had some depth, especially inside there. I know the edges have not been as productive as they were early on, but it's nice whenever he can rotate in there. And I thought he, I thought he's looked good at times this year. Yeah, he is. He's shown flashes. I, I just, I don't know if he is doing it consistently enough. Like he'll it's get more, an opportunity. It's more consistent than it was though. It, it is more consistent. You're right. It is relative and it is much more consistent than it has been through his first three years. But I don't know. You got to bring it play in and play out in, in the NFL. He's got the body type to make it. And he, he will be intriguing for that reason. But then again, Hassan Ridgeway is one of those guys who uh, wasn't exactly gangbusters play to play at the college level. He's still somewhere in the league. So he's uh, he's one of those physical freaks who, uh, who turned that into a, a really nice pro career. Gavin Holmes, Terrence Brooks, what, what's your take on them? I just don't trust the secondary. So in general, I was surprised to hear that both Holmes and Brooks were injured coming out of the game last weekends. And I'm shocked. Gavin Holmes hasn't earned more playing time much up to this point, considering that he was a starter at wake forest last year. Um, Terrence Brooks, I think had been, had shown some steps as that former five-star recruit who really struggled mightily last season, especially five-star. What's that? He was a five-star. Yeah. Huh. A little bit body type. He's obviously got the athleticism too, but he was terrible specifically in zone situations where, or situations he thought was zone where he was passing a guy off to a safety, but he actually needed to stay with the receiver led to more than one touchdown last year, but had improved his level of play in the bowl game. And so I thought we would see him continue to take those steps forward. And I think you had up to a point, but last weekend was not a great game for him. So, you know, progress is not linear. Sometimes it's a couple steps forward and a step or two back. So hopefully he's able to recognize that this BYU team, they've got a bunch of, uh, they have big wide receivers who aren't crazy athletic. So this is a great chance for him to show that physicality and show that uh, a little bit of a fail, a little bit of failure is not going to have an impact on him the next week that he's got that short memory and he's going to get back to uh, some of the things that, that have been taught to him over the last few years now that are helping him to come around at that cornerback position. Is this a low scoring game? Yeah, probably. I think Texas wins by 14 to 21, if I had to guess, but that very well could be, I don't know, 24 to 10 or 31 to 10. What do you think? Um, Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, to look at is I think it was an 80% chance of rain. Right. So th- this could be just an ugly game and where you're just not – you know, even if there are chances to hit deep, I do think getting back to our point, I think there will be some chances for Texas to, to hit some big plays, but we just, I mean, there's just so many unknowns. I, I would, wouldn't touch this game. If I did, I'd, I'd take BYU, but I mean, BYU's offense, as we've talked about is 
I mean, statistically, it's just awful. And last in the Big 12. Um, I actually caught them last week, and they looked okay. <laughs> so Yeah, they did look okay against sorry-ass Texas Tech and their third-string quarterback. Right. And I'm talking more about their offense, so looked okay. okay. Um, to where I thought, all right, I mean, I saw Slovis hit a couple deep balls with those big guys you're talking about, and I thought, uh-oh. Because um, I know Slovis has talent. But clearly, clearly something's not been right. But as I also say, this is where you can get into the compilation of stats. I mean, it's kind of like baseball, right? You know, heading into game three of the ALCS, if you didn't watch anything and just looked at numbers, you go, boy, you get or watched three months before. You got to watch out for Kyle Tucker. I mean, you know, it's like, no, you don't. Kyle Tucker's got to watch out for Kyle Tucker. Because he is just spinning right now. So baseball that was, clearly that was so bad. It was affecting him in the field too. Like he was, I don't know if he was half-assing it to certain balls, but it looked like he just didn't give a shit out there. Yeah, one thing I and I like Kyle Tucker's game, except for one thing. I can't, he is such a just a prima donna with not running stuff out. Have you ever seen him on a on a ground ball? Like, yeah. I mean, not a ground ball that he can beat out. But I understand it's it's the majors and you may not you may not go, you know, me sprinting to first, you know, because your coach was going to just rip your ass or there was a chance there'd be an air. But and that's how most of us were taught. And I'm sure Kyle was taught that, but he's playing at a high level now. But it is. It's it's like a walk. Hmm. And usually he'll just at the very end, go ahead and touch the, the you know, Five seconds after the the first baseman's caught it, touch first base. But yeah, it. Uh, but you're right. It, it it definitely had affected it. We'll get some baseball here in a little bit. And I understand football is not baseball, but I do know with college football, watching it forever, college especially, but NFL as well, we can get to this spot where we think we have enough of a sample size, and we do to some degree. But it's not like after week two, you know, it's leading the Big 12. Who cares? Shut up. No, we've had two games. Um, but also, we also have enough to where you may not be, you, you may have figured stuff out like a Kansas State. I mean, if you look at Iowa State against who was that, Ohio they lost to? Or that may have been, yeah, that was Ohio. And then look at them now. Well, a lot of those numbers are, they're better than their numbers show. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about statistics, and by the way, I'm a, a big believer in the Mark Twain quote, there's three types of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. But the one of the fascinating things about sports statistics, even if you're halfway through the season and you think you have a good handle on things, is that the opposition also sees what you are supposed to be good at at that point in time. And so they're going to make a more concerted effort to keep you from being able to beat them like that. Great point. And that's why you see those fluctuations also. Great point. And I think that's also what we've seen with Texas. And we've talked about that is that there's film out there and good coaching staffs understand really what your strengths are, what you want to lean on and what to take away. And, and we've seen that with Texas. We, you know, I'd like to see Texas do that more on the defensive side. It doesn't feel like they have, they have to, a little bit, but 
you know, it almost feels like they're getting, it's almost feels like they're, they're the ones getting exposed there where, cause that can go, that can work both ways, right? The defense can say, well, we know what you want to do now and we're going to take it away. We're going to make you do something else to beat us and to move the football. And the offense can say, well, we know what you do defensively. All right. Two can play this game, asshole. And we're going to go after what you don't do well. And that, that's been the Texas defense certainly last week. Yeah. We saw it, what was this, three or four years ago, where TCU and then Oklahoma in back-to-back weeks showed that the Longhorns offensive line was dog shit against twists and stunts. So what did the Texas offensive line have to deal with for most of the rest of the year? Defensive lines who are twisting and stunting and trying to get after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. As Texas defense is going to see a lot of crossers and rub routes until they can show that they can stop it. It's that Bill Belichick mindset to something. Like sometimes it is you as the aggressor running a play over and over again until the defense right. stops it. But sometimes it's what your weakness is. People are going to exploit that until you patch that hole, until you show show that you've learned how to defend that, and then they're going to have to try something different. Without a doubt. At the the college level, as a defensive coach, I would be hedging to force the opposition to do things along the sidelines as far as throwing the football is concerned because that's just the much more difficult throw. Yeah. But the uh, middle of the field is a problem for this defense right now. It is, it is, but hopefully get some guys back will help. Hopefully facing, as we mentioned, statistically the last team in offense in the Big 12. I, I look, and I'm not trying to say they're world beaters at all because they're not. They may just not be that bad, and there may be enough holes with Texas. My guess is not with this game. I think the Texas defense will play well, especially if it's if it's pissing outside like it like it was today. Then it's going to be, that's going to be tough on the offense. It's going to be tough to throw the football. And if you have to just run the football, I would give Texas the advantage. I think one thing that I'm having a little PTSD is that we just have not played well or matched up physically with BYU. Totally get it. It was what, 10 years ago. And Jamal Williams is, is running for the saints right now. And is Taysom Hill still with the saints? Yeah. So, and Jamal's there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I told you Jamal is one of my favorite guys. Jamal is. Love, love to hear that because I, I love him. badass of a human being. His mom and grandma are too. I watched a whole Dallas game, Detroit game with them, and they're just cracking me up. I mean, it's just a great, great family. Dude, I could watch that post-game interview he gave after the Lions beat the Packers in the final game of the regular season last year and knocked the Packers out of the playoffs, even though Detroit had nothing to play for right there. They'd already been knocked out of the playoffs too. Legitimately one of my all-time favorite interviews where it starts out really heartfelt with him dedicating the game. I forget if it was his great granddad or his granddad. Yeah, granddad and then it turns into him trash talking everybody who doubted the lions. It was God, it's pure glory. I could watch that interview every day for the rest of my life. It was so seamless because both were so genuine and it just, you know, I mean, the first part, you know, you're like getting a tear in your eye and then 20 seconds later, you're laughing your ass off. Yeah. Oh, I, I think I tweeted out at the time, Bohemian Rhapsody is jealous at how perfect a turn that was. Good turn. <laughs> I did mention to him, I said, hey, man, I go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a UT guy. 
He was like, oof, sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I, know, I, I still see you and Taysom running right now. So anyway, I know it's not that BYU team. I get that. But it's uh, it's still – they're still like in the back of my mind, just their 27-year-old offensive lineman. But they, they have not been – just haven't been good this year. I, I do get that. They looked better last week, though, once again. But it was against Tech, I get that. I feel like it's going to, the, the game is going to look similar in terms of our opponent to what Wyoming brought to the table. Now it's going to be yeah. less corn fed farm boys and more uh, Mormon Samoans. Uh, but similar age group, like early to mid 20s, and dudes that just have that natural strength about them. And so that presents, even though it's not the most disciplined group and they've, Quite frankly, they've been bad on both offense and defense far more often than not this year. The defense gave up 40-something points to TCU, and the Horn Frogs' backup quarterback threw for more than 400 yards, which is just bizarre because TCU has sucked on offense this year. Yeah. Uh, they found it against BYU, but the Cougars did bounce back nicely against Texas Tech last weekend. I mean, you forced three turnovers against an inexperienced quarterback. And this is where the Malik concern comes in and not having him do too much early on like that completely changes the prospect for a game. And this Texas football team with how they've been reeling on defense right now, I don't want to see them have to deal with a bunch of short fields in the first half. Like that's a recipe for an upset right there. Agreed. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah, this could be a huge special teams game. I hope it's not because, you know, well, I hope it is because you can still have a 20, 21 point win and special teams play a big factor. But yeah, long fields will be important. Uh, it was so important. You know, Keelan Robinson could have been the MVP of the game if you want to break it down last, yeah. last week. And I mentioned that, that well, we have an offensive and defensive MVP, but that he could have been the MVP and because that was so big, especially considering not only that Houston had all the momentum, but clearly you just did not want to put Malik in a bad situation, which I get too. I mean, you're also running the football well. So like I said, they could have maybe run that 80 the way they were running, but man, it was nice to have some confidence. Like, dude, we got half the field here and all we need is a field goal, but let's go score a touchdown. Mm -hmm. And they did that. So you're, you're picking Texas to win, huh? Yeah. How yeah, about I do. Yeah, uh, I, I would take BYU with the points, but but I think it'll be probably 10 to maybe 17, but I'll, I'll take that, take the dub. I am really curious to watch Malik, man. You know, he was one of those weird guys that had to deal with the pandemic, and you just didn't feel like, not that high school tape means a ton, but it's just nice to be able to see them. So I know he's got a rocket of an arm. I know that pace and touch is something that's been discussed, so – We'll see it, where that is and really seeing the field because the reality is, you know, Quinn's gotten so much better. He's been protecting the football almost too much at times, I think, that where that can inhibit you from letting stuff go. But rewatching last week a little bit, the, the, there were some open guys. And I, I, I do wonder just how well Quinn sees the field. Yeah, you brought that up off air in the last couple of days. It's an interesting point. I mean, against Houston, I think it's a bit of a wash because after he gets hurt in the third quarter, he checks down a lot from there. But I think he was doing that because he knew he was hurt and didn't want to didn't want to roll the dice on throwing the football down the field too much. 
with the ace. I'll also say the first half checkdowns went for like seven or eight yards pop. So yeah. Houston tackles like like a fifth grade team. So, <laughs> you know, you want to get Jonathan Brooks in open space in the flats with some cornerback who looks like he didn't want to tackle and can't tackle, then go for it. Yeah, I'm excited to see Malik Murphy what he brings to the table on Saturday. Curious to see if we see Arch every third or fourth series. I think it's a possibility. But with Malik, it's not just Texas fans. I know everybody does this. We, we've got to stop with certain comparisons, guys. Like I saw in the YouTube comments earlier, somebody said he's got a little bit of VY in him. No, he does not. Like, he may be able to pick up yardage here and yeah, there. Yeah, actually, he does. He does. He's tall and he's black. Okay, that, that's where it ends, though. Okay, well, that's trying to give them a little love there. I don't know. I don't know what they're saying. That's where it ends. Okay, he has the liver arm that Vince does, and the ability to make more throws. And Vince was an elite runner, and Malik Murphy may be okay with his legs. He is not an elite runner. So just get that thought out of your head. This is this is along the lines of Tom Herman being the next Nick Saban. Like we don't always need to go to nth degree with our comparisons. Okay. Did someone actually ever say that? Dude, there were a lot of people saying that back then. They should never give a sports opinion ever again. Well, they spend a lot of their lives on message boards and try and say things in a histrionic manner to draw attention to themselves. And as hot as I ever was on Tom Herman, like going back to Houston. And, and I mean, I never thought he was an ex-Nick set. Did I think he was going to be the, the, the greatest college football coach in modern-day history? No, I thought it was going to be good, better than he was, but I didn't think that. <laughs> People said that shit. They made the Urban Meyer comparisons for obvious reasons, and that was even a large stretch. And it's like, can't you just let a guy try and grow as a head coach? And he's maybe getting a job like this a couple years before you have the proper amount of evidence or research that he will thrive in this role. Like, can we just give a guy a little bit of time without – without labeling him in ways that are completely unrealistic and, and quite frankly, ignorant to throw out there? No. No, we can't, Trey. No. Okay? So swallow it. Yeah, well. But 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 your point is right. not the most bombastic statement on Twitter, then it never really even existed to begin with. Yeah. I mean, what are people going to do with that? So getting back to it, look, I mean, Vince is, for his size, is the best college runner I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and it's also different. I mean, you can get into Tommy Frazier. You can certainly get into Vic. You can get into to different guys that were great runners. Hell, Taysom Hill. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, there are a lot of guys. Darian Hagan. You know, I could I could go for the next three hours and give you college football guys who were mobile who I loved. It's not a one to one, but Michael, like talent wise, Michael Vick is. If there's somebody who's above Vince, it's him, right? Yeah, mainly because of just you know. It's pure speed. Yeah. But explosiveness. Yeah. I mean, they, they are close. I'd still take Vince. And I mean, even outside of being a Texas fan, I'd take Vince because of the physicality and he was slippery, man. Um, and, and look, Vic was slippery too. So, so we're splitting hairs at that point. But, but yeah, that, that's probably your best comp. Those are probably your two best college runners that, that I've seen. But, I do getting back to not really seeing high school tape. I did watch a little, you know, some high school tape and he was running. I also, it looked like he was playing peewee players. He's a big guy. So I, I don't, I don't know. It wasn't Leonard Davis at Wortham like that level, but 
I don't know. It didn't seem like the competition maybe was that great. Am I wrong about that? Well, wasn't that the story back then? Like the high school he was at in Cali and it was um, a pandemic in California. So he was in a closet for 12 months. Pandemic. Yeah. I think he was hurt for a chunk of his junior year and like his senior year, he led his team to a state title and he had a foot injury of some sort. I'm not, I don't totally remember what the foot injury was, but I mean, he showed that he was a gamer by playing yeah. through a significant amount of pain and helping his team to win a championship. So yeah. Um, you, you know, you have to perform against the competition in front of you. I probably say that way too much on this channel, but it's true. Like you don't have, you're not playing against the starters right now while you're playing in mop up duty. Show me what you got in mop up duty. Cause guess what? That's the level that you're considered to be at right now. And if you excel there, then it increases the likelihood that you'll do well, given a chance as a second teamer or even the starter. Like Jonathan Brooks is a great example of that. Like he, sh he showed what he was as a running back in mop up time last year. You yep. had to stick around to the end of the game and not everybody did. There were, uh, there was a game or two that I didn't, but in the games that I did, I'm like, damn, this dude just broke one off. Yeah. And, you know, it was second team defense, but it was also second and third team offensive line and wide receivers and quarterback too. Yeah, it wasn't as surprising to see how good he's been this year. You still never know when you when it's the full load is on you. But but he definitely showed stuff to where it's like, yeah, that was a good ride. This guy is definitely someone we want on the roster and looks like he could be a starter, even though you're coming off Bijan and Roshan. But I do want to see just just how mobile Malik is. And because I know he's got some mobility, he's not Vince, but but he's not, he's not exactly a lumberer, but he's not like I, he's not even as good of a runner as Arch Manning is. Like people are gonna be surprised at how quick Arch Manning is. You're gonna see flashes of Trevor Lawrence and what he was able to do with his legs at Clemson at times when Arch Money uh, Arch Manning tucks and runs the football, or maybe it could even be a designed run too. He's not as fast as Lawrence, dude. Dude, he in a I don't know when it's gonna be. It may be later. Trevor Lawrence year, parked like a 75 yarder in the semis. You're gonna come back to me and be like, boy, you're the first thing you ever got right, Trey, was Rondale Moore. The second thing you got right <laughs> is Arch Manning and him having really good straight line speed. I hope you're right. And I, I watched, I watched them. I watched as many highlights as I could the last couple of years. And, and there are plenty to be had. It's so many haters like on, you know, and people that once he committed to UT, obviously they were showing good highlights, but, um, but yeah, I mean, he looked mobile, but I, I almost feel like you're discounting how fast Trevor Lawrence certainly was at Clemson. Trevor Lawrence could go. Yes, he could. Okay. All right, dude. I, I obviously hope you're right. I hope he does park one for 80 next year. And I call you up and go, all right, my turn for Uchiko. Let, <laughs> let me, let me correct that comparison. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is not the right comparison. The right comparison for Arch Manning is Michael Vick. <laughs> <laughs> A right-handed Michael Vick, Kevin. A white right-handed Michael Vick. He <laughs> likes dogs. <laughs> oh, uh, man. All right. Uh, what other college football games this week? I was just looking at the schedule. There's two other ranked matchups and only one that I care about. Because Duke, Duke and Louisville are playing. That's not the one that I care about. That's a 2.30 kickoff on ESPN. Number 20 versus number 18. 
Of course, because the Pac-12 gives us at least one ranked up ranked matchup every week. The uh, the biggest ranked matchup this weekend is number eight Oregon at number thirteen Utah. I know yeah. that Utah just beat USC last week, but I I think Oregon had their emotional letdown last weekend in a sense, and they're going to be back on track this week. And they're Utah. You'll you'll read that they're better on offense. I wasn't that impressed with their offense against USC as much as I was watching a USC team fold in on itself last weekend. I think Oregon, even with this game being in Utah, is going to handle its business. No, Utah's offense has been a total wreck, uh, except for last week. And so, you know, the pig farmer, the quarterback, that's been a pretty cool story. It shows you how good Whittingham and that whole staff is. The fact this team is somehow six and one. But, oh, by the way, did you see Cam Rising took the medical red shirt? Yeah. Yeah. You, you were calling that from week one. You weren't You weren't buying that, and you ended up being right. Uh, injury in the Rose Bowl, like, and people were acting like he was going to be back and as effective as he was previously. It's like, at the very least, the guy, half the guy's game is cut off because he's not going to be able to run the football. Yeah, and apparently it was a lot more complicated. There were multiple ligaments, yeah. and it was the MCL too. And it, I mean, it sounded almost like one of those that this is going to take a full year uh, to get over. And that looks like it's going to be the case. And we'll see if it's even longer than that. We'll see what he does in the spring. Actually, we won't because I don't follow UT spring ball. But um, you know, their offense. I have watched them, and and the the. The USC defense is so bad that they were able to piece something together. But for the most part, they've not been good this year. Uh, their defense has been great, although a, at times not actually great against the run, certainly up the middle. So as good as they usually are. And that's where Oregon will hit you. I think this game really sets up well for Oregon, just the setup. I say that and Utah is the wrong team to pick against. They've actually been the best program and best team in the – Pac-12 for the last couple of years. That, that is a great, great program. But I think this is when just holding this thing together is is going to come to an end. I, I'd take Utah, and I think it's like seven, six and a half, seven. I'd yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I'd take, I'd take Oregon, and I would take the points too. You, okay, yeah, I was like, wait a second. Yeah, uh, yeah. no, I, 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 I just, I just said, I said all that up to go. Except, you know, not so fast, my friend. Um, no, I, I'll take Oregon. I think what they do well matches up with the few things Utah doesn't do well defensively. And then you hit the nail on the head with the Utah offense or, you know, that, that was, that was against USC. Take, take it with a grain of salt. Notre Dame scored against USC. Look, Bryson Barnes is a nice story, but he's still a guy that has four touchdowns and three interceptions on the year too. Yeah. Like, you're going to highlight anything about that Utah offense right now. It's former Longhorn Jaquindon Jackson. Right who made the move that he needed to, to running back and has really excelled when he's been given the opportunity there. But the key factor this weekend for either team, the biggest factor is going to be Bo Nix. This is not the Bo Nix from his freshman or sophomore year at Auburn. That was complete dog shit on the road. This guy has learned how to play really well at that position, wherever he is, certainly at Autzen, but away now too. And the uh, 19 to one touchdown to interception ratio, that's not a fluke. That guy has total command of that offense. They've also got really good running backs to boot and uh, a defense that while 
they weren't great against Washington. Guess what? I don't know if there's a defense that's going to look good against Washington's offense right now. Uh, that defense is lively too. So they're going to make life hard on Barnes, who is a young quarterback, and force Utah to become more one-dimensional than they're looking to be. And I think Oregon's offense is good enough to uh, to take whatever the, the best shot that a, a good Utah defense has to give them and uh, eventually get into a flow and end up winning the game going away. It's six and a half point line right now. Utah probably wins this one by 10 to 14, in my my opinion. Oregon does. Oh, Oregon. I just did the same thing. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, Oregon I, wins by 10 to 14. Once again, if you're listening, we're both taking Oregon in this game. And I don't feel good about it. That's a tough, that, that's a that's an underrated environment. And Utah's been the better program and they're more physical. And you question Bo Nix on the road. I think you're right. That was a different Bo Nix, but it's still in your mind. You question Oregon's physicality. You may question him in big games like this. Everything's telling me not to take it, but I'm going to go ahead and take Oregon because I'm not going to let all that other stuff get in, get in the way of uh, a good story. No, get in the way of, of kind of just what my brain really thinks about this year's matchup currently right now. Um, trying to think of what else. Oh, you know, God, this is a game that, should be good. And the SEC is is just nowhere. I mean, I don't I don't remember the SEC being this down. Shit. I mean, would have been like the late 80s? Because hmm. even in the early 90s, I mean, the SEC was not what like it was the best conference every year, like it had been no in the two, 2000s for a long time. But you still had Florida, Tennessee, Georgia could bite you, LSU could bite you. Um, and Georgia, Florida. You know, I don't know what to think about this. I mean, obviously, Georgia is is trying to go for three in a row, so they're not the issue here. But Florida is – that just doesn't seem like Napier's the right guy. Am I wrong about that or no? I mean, we talked about two steps forward and one or two steps back. Florida, they take like five steps back for every step they take forward under Billy Napier because they get embarrassed by Utah – that was completely inexperienced at quarterback to start the season. And they got manhandled by Utah in that first game. But then they bounced back and they beat a Tennessee team that turns out to be not be all that good. Yep. So everybody starts to believe in them again. And then they get upset by who was it? Kentucky in embarrassing fashion. They lost to Missouri yet. Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought Billy Napier would actually be a good hire for them, especially coming off of Dan Mullins, but it's not working out so far, and he may not have a whole lot more time either, especially with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the conference. Every school in the SEC realizes that if it doesn't feel like the program is going in the right direction, you need to make that change sooner rather than later in order to try and keep up with the Joneses. Oh, yeah, I re- totally realize. I mean, there are five and two, and I think three and one in conference. So I totally realize that, I, that I'm, I'm I'm being more SEC fan here, but they're not ranked, and they just – is three and one in the SEC right now? I think they are. Wow, I may be wrong about that. I'll I am misremembering what I thought they were doing this year. Then, well, I'll have to look it up. I may be wrong about that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Let me get here. Hold on. Is Mertz um, still starting for them? Correct. Yeah, and Mertz's Mertz's had some. You know the the limited times I've watched, and that's the other thing. I, I really want to watch Florida, and Florida's. Since oh, you're right, five and two and three and one. Yeah, good call. Yeah, 
Um, but also in, like we just said, a very down SEC. I did see a stat. I forgot where I saw this, but it was an interesting stat on Georgia and Florida. And it says more about uh, Georgia than Florida because it's, it's still surprising with Florida, but not shocking after looking at them. They're the two worst red zone defenses in the country. Florida and who? Georgia. Georgia's the worst red zone defense in the country? So Georgia, I've watched a lot. Georgia's not the same defensively. Like, huh. They're still really damn good. And their fronts, and this is all this is talk about really comparing your 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 uh dead wife to your new girlfriend. It's like, yeah, you're just not Marlene, you know. You like how I went old school name with that one? Um, I didn't go Bailey on you. Um, you know, this is uh this, you're not Marlene, whatever. It's like, yeah, well, Marlene apparently was incredible at everything, so I'm not gonna be Marlene. It's still you know, I know that stat sticks out. They're still good, or else they wouldn't be undefeated right now. And their defense really helped out Beck move along. But it, it's not the same. They're not nearly as dominant as they were. And that stat just fucking sticks out. I want to make sure that's right. But I'm so, pretty sure. So Where did I read that? A couple things here. I, I worked with the Marlene at WGN Radio in Chicago. It is two of the worst. So they're, But still, they're in the bottom. Uh, Florida, since losing to Kentucky, since getting blown out by Kentucky, 33 to 14, they beat Vanderbilt. And as you mentioned, they won at South Carolina last week in a close one, 41, 39. They've got a rough end of season schedule, starting with Georgia this weekend. They get Arkansas after that. Not too bad. Then they close at LSU at Missouri and then Florida state at home. Yeah. Well, it's. It's nut cutting time for Billy Napier in Gainesville. It is. And I to their credit, I guess they're five and two and three and one right now. But uh if you're not careful, that's gonna change really quickly over these last five games. Yeah, I think it will. Um I heard heard you guys say, I think it was Chip who who uh very chip esque, which I love here, you know, breaking news on on a report. And he said that. Um, Jaden's not going to play for Kansas. Is that really against Oklahoma? Man, I heard him say that also. That's a bummer. That That is another uh, one. It's like with Jalen Catalan, and it's starting to feel like we may not see him again this year. I've heard a conspiracy theory that he asked Kansas for more money, and they said no, so he's just sitting the year out, and he's going to go chase it someplace else next season. Oh, I God. Still fucking play, kid. I hope that's not the case because how does a guy waking up after getting a bad night's sleep here in Austin turn into him not playing for a month plus? And they just had a bye week this last week, by the way. That's, so you've had a month off and your back is still not good enough? I know backs are weird and backs are backs, but that's, they are. that's interesting. Yeah, because it felt like – so was that the final word that he woke up and slept wrong? That's what we heard from, I think it was Molly McGrath who was on the broadcast that day. Yeah. Now by, well, by the way, at 45, I can actually buy that. I don't know, it'll take me out for a month, but um, but at his well, age, it's yeah, not well, taking me out for a month. At his age and to be that good of an athlete, too. Well, not just his age, that good of an athlete, but to our conversation earlier about new fit and having the means to actually treat the injury like you would like to, if right. you had unlimited funds, like you kind of have that. 
yeah. as the starting quarterback in the preseason all-conference player of the year. I mean, you have masseuses, you have Kairos if need be. I mean, you have access to that stuff. And by the way, if that doesn't already exist on the staff and it's something that you know can help you out, they'll, they will uh, go find somebody who can help you out like that if need be. Oh, God. Speaking of masseuses, did you see what um, Witherspoon, the first round pick for, I think he's with Seattle, isn't he? Yeah. Did you see what he said in, in his uh, in their uh, press conference, like no, leading up to the that? game against Cleveland? Did you hear it? No, what'd he say? <laughs> I love this kid, man. He could ball, too. Mm-hmm. But he said, they asked him about Deshaun Watson not playing. He goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I mean, you know, totally get it. We still got to be ready for PJ Walker and everything. And he goes, you know, sounds like, I mean, the doctors, you know, told him that he can't play. And, you know, he finally, um, he finally took no, or he, I, I'm going to fuck this up. What did he say? It was, he finally uh, took no for an answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what it was. He finally took no for an answer. And I was like, wow. Wow. Now I haven't heard it yet. I was just reading it. So I, I, I'm going to go back after and actually I want to hear the delivery. It's got to be a lot better than mine there. Um, but but yeah, that was it's like for a rookie to come out with that. It's like, whoa, bro. Uh, but yeah, that, there are a lot of a lot of guys in the league who don't care for Deshaun Watson at this point, including dudes on his own team, because you have people going off the record and questioning just how hurt he actually is. Oh, really? Is he looking for more money? I maybe. hope not. Or maybe I mean, he's just uh, looking to uh, be as healthy as possible when he gets to walk away with all that guaranteed money. David Mulligetta got him the steal of a lifetime, man. Yes, he did. All right, here's a top 20 matchup. Saturday, baby. ESPN. Top 20 matchup, Trey. You're excited for it, right? Duke-Louisville. This is actually not a great week for college football. And I, I'm going to say this. This is not a great year for college football. Still love it. Still awesome. It, it's 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 still my favorite. but And that's okay. It's cyclical. I don't think there's anything going on like where it's college basketball in 96. And I'm telling you, dude, this thing is over with. Enjoy it while you got it. it it's, and it's not coming back. I don't think that's the case. But... And it, we've had this before where it's just cyclical and it's one of those years. I think it also makes it fun because we we have a lot more parity, but the parity also to some degree is more mediocrity. Well, there's a lot of co- a lot a lack of cohesion. And why is that? Because we've seen way more roster turnover across the board than in any other year of college football. Thanks to the transfer portal and thanks to NIL. And teams essentially being able to bribe a guy away from one program to come play for their program too. And while that means you are adding more talent to your roster, things take time to gel. Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of, not just a bunch of first-year dudes, but a bunch of first-year dudes who all came from other places also. It does make it more difficult. It's a weird year for football just on the whole though. Like even the NFL right now. Yeah, how about the Niners, man? There are two, yeah, the Niners. What a bizarre situation that's become over the last couple of weeks. I would say good call on that, but you'd put the Lions ahead of them, so which they still may be, but the Lions got their asses handed to them. 
I mean, that was embarrassing for them. I, I know David Montgomery makes a little bit of a difference. Not that big of a difference, though. And that defense, I had more faith in them than uh, than what they let Lamar Jackson do to them last Sunday. But there are two matchups this weekend involving teams with winning records. And both matchups make me go meh. One is the aforementioned Browns at Seahawks. Browns have a great defense. Yeah, they're PG down to Kareem Hunt as their starting running back with Jerome Ford now being out with an injury. Seattle, I mean, Pete Carroll just finds ways to get it done each and every year. So even with Geno, Geno Smith under center, and you got to give Geno Smith credit. He has persevered and turned into a, a guy that's maybe a notch above game manager right now. Yeah. But uh, that matchup does nothing for me. And the other matchup involving two teams with winning records, the Jags at the Steelers. Now, people were high on the Jags going into this year based on what they did last season and the uh, tiny bit of success in the postseason. The Steelers are, are somehow they're somehow four and two right now, despite the fact that they have been very mediocre. They have been. Pickett, still lots of questions about him. Um, George Pickens is legitimate. He is a bona fide number one wide receiver. Najee Harris continues to just kind of putter along. Jalen Warren still somehow hasn't taken that job just yet. Uh, but their defense has uh, has been the shining beacon, I guess, if there is a shining beacon on either side of the ball. But even they've been a little bit bizarre this year. Yeah, with Lawrence, and I'm still interested in, in just seeing if Pickett is is a you know the starter for them. That I gave the eh. Actually, I I will check that out. But it, it also depends what else is going on. There could be two losing records that I'd rather watch that matchup. Well, you have the four and three Atlanta Falcons against the two and four Tennessee Titans, who are going to be starting Will Levis at quarterback this Sunday. Wow. Hey, what what did Bijan have? Did he have that thing I had? That a lot of people had. Was he uh, was he squirting out of out of the two hole? Not according to the reports. The reports are a headache came on on Saturday, and on Sunday it was still there, a little bit better, but still there. And so pregame, they basically told him like, "You can suit up if you want to, but we're going to let you take it easy because we have Algiers and Quarter uh, Patterson." Yeah, and now the Falcons are in trouble, and I'm so fucking pissed off about this too. By the way, it's so annoying because you have to list guys who may be questionable for a game, and they need to list him as questionable, even if it was the morning of. You have the opportunity to do that. They didn't list him as questionable. We just assumed Bijan was healthy, and then all of a sudden you get to the end of the first half, and he's been in the game on just a handful of occasions and hasn't received any work. And it's clear he's in Arthur Smith's dark doghouse. One of two things. Either he's in Arthur Smith's doghouse or he may actually be hurt. Well, Bijan Robinson, I don't think should ever be in anybody's doghouse. Uh, maybe he finds him, his way into a doghouse at some point. I just can't see it right now, but he's a really good dude. Did or you he, ever go did you ever go into did you ever go into your own doghouse? Like, did your dogs have a doghouse? Oh God, no. Their house oh, is our house. I used to go in. Uh, no, our dogs, our, our dogs had to be outside. Oh, I see. I see. I never had dogs growing up. I see what you're saying. I never yeah, had. No, dogs so we up. actually had a doghouse for rain and you know bad weather or whatever. And yeah, when I was like really small, I'd go in there with them. How was hang, it? Hang out with the dog. Smelled and it was hairy. But I didn't mind. I love my dogs so much that 
No. And kid, kids love little nooks and crannies. You know, you, you like hiding spots. You know, when I was really small, I'd go hide in the hamper. Yeah, we've got a, a, a coat closet that goes back a little bit because it's under the stairs. And we call it Narnia. My kids love going into that closet. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's why we loved Webster and shows like that. You know, I mean, any little real cool secret passage or like, I mean, heck, I even like that stuff as an adult. Or, I, or I'm interested in it and it kind of. Secret passage, me. yes. I don't like being in small confined spaces. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I couldn't fit in the hamper. I couldn't fit half my fucking body in the hamper, but I wouldn't want to be, yeah, that, that feel claustrophobic. I, I deal with claustrophobia. Yeah, I'm with you there. Although I will say we, Justine and I went to a, a wedding for my friend Tom and his uh, now wife Tara several years ago. And we were staying at what I described at the time as a sort of eyes wide shut house. It had a very weird feel about it, but it had a bookcase that opened up and there was a staircase there and it led down into an extra bedroom. Dude, that's cool. Yeah, yes. yes. The the bookcase doorway is cool. I agree with that. But leading down to a bedroom that doesn't have windows or anything and there's no way out, I don't know. It just felt felt a little prison-y. I'm not saying that it's practical or, or the actual... The actual, you know, realism of it when you see it, you're down there and you're like, oh, I'm in a dungeon now. Like, this isn't as cool as I thought, but... Yeah, the, the idea is cool. Anyway, I totally sidetracked you, but I want to hear your thought on this. So what's going on with the doghouse? Like, how would Bijan, Bijan shouldn't be in anyone's doghouse. It's not that. Dog. It's fucking Arthur Smith jerking around and fucking my fantasy team over in the process. Ah, so that's where the Amazons are coming from. Buffalo Bills, and I would have won my game last weekend. Even getting negative .5 points out of Deshaun Watson, who gets hurt early in that game after he had thrown an interception, and so the combination of my number one overall pick, Bijan Robinson, giving me zero, and Deshaun Watson giving me negative 0.5, that caused me to lose my game by five points. So the rest of my team was actually really good. Jameer Gibbs, great game. Some other guys like that who had good games, but I got fucked by the Atlanta Falcons not listing Bijan on the injury report. Please tell me, your. do you change your fantasy name every year, right? No, it's still the Tent City Hobos in both my leagues. God, you got to go to the rubbing tugs if you have Deshaun on your team, man. Mm. I do have Deshaun on my team. The only reason why I guess some Patriots fan maybe already have that. Maybe. The only reason why he was starting is because Justin Fields is hurt and then Jared Goff was going up against the Ravens, which fantasy-wise has one of the best defenses against the pass. I'm curious. No. Well, Goff would have also won me that game had I just not gone with the uh, the perv Watson. But that's neither here nor there. All right, Rangers, Diamondbacks. Game one yeah. is tomorrow night in Arlington. Hey, but hey, before that, can I give a quick shout out to a good friend and a new sponsor for us? Go for it. That would be Apple Leasing. Scott Crossett. I've known Scott. Hell, how long, how long have Scott and I been friends for? 15, 20 years and and. I've leased from Apple multiple times. If you're going to lease a car and right now, I don't know, we, we talk about inflation a lot. We, you know, getting eggs, milk, gas, obviously meat, diapers, you name it. Uh, we're all feeling it, right? Try and go get a new car right now. 
Brian Gogan a used car right now because it's hit that market too. Leasing, it really makes a lot of sense right now in 2023. And Apple Leasing is the spot to go to. Scott and the crew, they've been doing this for a long time. You'll love the customer service. There's always someone there to help you out. And you can really just get online and do it or you can give them a call. It's 512-346-9977. But one of the best things about them is that there's just so many options and that's what you want in life. So you give them a budget, say, hey, this is what I want to pay per month. And I would like to have this type of car. I want KD CRV, baby, whatever, whatever you're looking for. You want to go big boy, big girl, you can do that too. Um, but you're going to, they're going to find you the best rate because they, they know everyone because they've been doing this forever. So they're going to find the best rate for that car or find the price and find you the right car for you. Uh, really good people too. And been in Austin for a long time. Love Scott. Love the people there. Glad that they are part of the Texas sports unfiltered family, uh, commercial leases. You want to do that as well. Check them out online. It is appleleasing.com, or you can call them 512-346-9977. Scott and family, welcome to our family. Yes, welcome indeed. Thank you so much to uh, Scott and the Apple Leasing folks for the support of Texas Sports Unfiltered. All right, Rangers, Diamondbacks, game one tomorrow night in Arlington. Games one and two in Arlington, Friday and Saturday. Games three, four, and five, Monday through Wednesday in Phoenix. And if there are a game six and seven, they will be back in Arlington the following Friday and Saturday. Where are you with this series right now? Well, considering that I picked the Phillies to beat the Astros, um, I'm not not exactly Mad Dog Russo right now. I didn't say I didn't go hyperbolic and totally Mad Dog and say that I'd retire if the Diamondbacks won, uh, I think we all felt Diamondbacks fans felt that down 2-0 after losing 10 nothing. If we get this to six, that's great. Uh, they're a lot like the Rangers. They're resilient. They're even more ahead of schedule. They've got really nothing to lose. Now, the nothing to lose thing plays until you get to the World Series. Because then at that point, I don't care if you're three years ahead of schedule and you're all 23, you got something to lose because you may never come back and you're here for a reason. And you're four games away from putting a ring on for the rest of your life, everywhere you go. It's like, dude, can I see the world series ring? How many people ask to see the backup ring, you know, but they're, they're a good club, man. Lavello's done a very nice job of, being very proactive with his bullpen. You know, they've got three starters. Bot, I believe, is the third guy who's been lights out. You probably know about Zach Gallen. You probably know about Merrill Kelly. Kelly and Bot have been, it's like two A's, three A's, have been um, with a P in front of it, have been, uh, they've been really damn good and, and, and better better than I thought. It's not shocking Jordan Montgomery is shoved in the playoffs because he, he shoved pretty much all year. And so that was somewhat unexpected, but it wasn't a surprise. God, they run, man. I don't know. It does feel like there are certain organizations that saw the writing on the wall or had inside info 
that were really going to get speed more than you would have when no one was running in baseball. They run, they play small ball. If you haven't seen Corbin Carroll, Corbin Carroll is as good uh, as any player in baseball, if not the best, if I had to take one who's 24, 25 and younger. He can fucking play and can run. He's got big time pop. Uh, it's a fun team. They play really good defense. They've got a great mix of young guys. They got a steal with Moreno behind the plate. Moreno, I think, has the highest percentage of throwing guys out in the league at 23 and can mash and is mashed in big situations. Talk about Alec Thomas, who Kind of had some up and downs. Alec Thomas, Mount Carmel quarterback, safety, and wide receiver. Committed to LSU, baby. I got to say Mount Carmel because, you know, Bob Dunn would get on me if I didn't. So the home of Denny McClain, your last 30-game winner. Antoine Walker, Donovan McNabb, uh, Simeon Rice, I believe. Uh, Chris Chelios. <laughs> you like them apples? Um, so, yeah, Arizona is like they, they could win this. So this is not, you know, I, I'm going to. I think I'm going to take Texas, but I think this is a seven, six or seven game series too. I, in fact, I'll say seven. Um, and it will not surprise me if Arizona wins this, but Texas has to continue doing what they're doing and, and they're going to be all right. Uh, but getting back to the bullpen and what Lavello's done, you know, they've got the side armor and like a herky jerky side armor. You're like, well, Kevin, all side armors are herky jerky, not this herky jerky with his body. It is all deception, not much stuff. All deception and a lot of fucking outs. So he gets the job done. But they've got a couple other guys they go to, including Seawald, who they got from, shockingly, from the Mariners. I don't think he has their best stuff. The guy before that, what's his name, um, probably has their best stuff. Those are the two high leverage guys. But they got really four high leverage guys they go to. They can mix and match with a lefty who's not in that top four, but is pretty good. They play good defense. They run. They they have pop when they need to, but it's not their game. And they play small ball, which you know I love. If they were playing anyone but the Rangers, I'd be rooting for the Diamondbacks in this series because I love the way they play. But I'm, you know, I've watched the Rangers too much this year, and I also love the way they play. So, and I want I want you guys to be happy. I I think it would also be cool to fuel the fire next year with Houston and Texas if you guys are coming off the World Series. You know, world's your first World Series. Yeah. Arizona statistically is really average across the board, offensively yep. and defensively, except in a couple of areas on offense. That would be the stolen bases that you talked about. I think they had the second most steals on the year. And then they also had either the most or second most triples on the season, which speaks to that team speed. That's honestly part of the reason why I'm a little bit surprised that Nathan Ivaldi is the game one starter for Texas because Montgomery being a lefty and also being somebody good at holding runners on does a much better job of holding runners at first base. And you potentially get him for parts of three different games if you let him go in game one. But if you feel that much more confident about Nate being your game one starter, then look, Bruce Bochy has obviously proven over time that he has – or makes exceptional moves as it pertains to uh, his starting arms and then also his bullpen. So you give him the benefit of the doubt there. But this Arizona team is is very average across the board statistically, both at the plate 
and uh, with their pitching too. A little bit deeper of a bullpen. You're right about that. Uh, probably in a, a very similar spot in, in terms of those first three starters. Both teams really good at fielding, Kevin. Both uh, yeah. tied for the uh, the league lead in fielding percentage this year. So uh, expect to see a fairly clean brand of baseball in terms of what is happening defensively. But then again, this is baseball, so sometimes those things get turned onto their head. I have a strange sense of confidence right now about this series. Yeah. Because one thing that the Arizona pitchers are not great at is strikeouts. And I think that's one way that you get to this Texas team is by forcing them to chase. And so I actually have the Rangers winning this one. I'm tempted to go sweep, but I think Texas probably loses game four and and takes it in five. Okay. Yeah. Don't do sweep. Even if they do sweep. sweep Sweep is such an asshole prediction, but it feels like there's a chance for a sweep. I just don't have confidence in, uh, whatever the game four starting situation turns out to be for Texas. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it goes six or seven, but I, I obviously hope uh, I, I am rooting for the Rangers to win this one. Uh, speaking of uh, managing, remember I told you months ago that I don't care what happens. Dusty Baker won't be back next year. Called that one. Yeah. And I think Astros fans who really follow it knew that too. There were just baseball fans that follow it really knew that, that, there was, and it was weird to have like Jim Crane and Dana Brown at the retirement, um, you know, press conference. It's like, wait a minute, you guys weren't getting along all year. Like there were multiple reports that he was not doing what you wanted. And, and look, I even agree with that a little bit. And, and at the end of the day, if your boss wants you to do something, you do it, right? I mean, as long as it's not like illegal and, you know, Go throw that puppy on the highway. Fuck you. I quit, you know, but. Um, it, it, it needs to make sense what your boss is asking you to do. Well, like, Yank, y- Yonner Diaz, you know, maybe starting a little bit more when he hit 23 home runs in half the year. Uh, maybe fair. Especially because Maldonado is is not the defensive catcher that he once was. Like he's lost a little bit on the framing. And he's, you know, I know he had a couple of a uh, couple of big hits in that series, but he sucks at the plate. Yeah, uh, no, I mean it's more the plate, and you're right. I mean, I, th- I think he's still, deal- you know, there's obviously more to catching. You know this than than just framing and and throwing guys out. Understanding um, although- how to deal with your staff, but hasn't that changed too, though, because of the ability to radio the uh, the pitch calls in. I mean, a, a little bit. I, I still think there's something to it. Yeah, it's not as much. And the other, the other thing too that's changed is you can't go out there 24 times in appearance. So that has taken some getting that used more to. than anything. Is yeah, that, that has taken some getting used to for me in this postseason because there are situations where it's like no doubt the catcher goes out there to talk to him for a sec. Right. You know, and when they do now, it, it's almost like one of those. It's like throwing the red flag or or taking a timeout. You know, it's like, wow, this is you know, timeout in basketball to stop a run. It's like, whoa, it's like, all right, yep, you know, this this is obviously really big and and or these guys are really struggling. What is the rule there now? What is it? Um you're only given so many during a game? Yeah. Um no only so many for for a pitcher. Mm. And I forgot what it is off the I'm I'm still getting used to it. I, I I forgot. I mean, as much baseball as I know, I I know I knew it at one point this year, but I, I forgot what the exact number is. Well that that rule, I mean, I, I 
guess I understand limiting that, but that rule is very arcane. Like whatever the number they settled on, there's no fucking rhyme or reason for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've obviously gotten used to the two throw over rule. Um, and you can throw over a third time, but you have to pick them off. So that's why you see guys after two throwovers getting these obscene leads. And so it does lead to maybe you could pick them off, but if you don't, then he gets second base and that's a stolen bag, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still getting used to that. I'm still getting used to all of it. I, I will say, though, that speeding up the game, I think it rushed it, and I'd be even be cool if they added five seconds to it. That wouldn't crush me, but it, it's helped. And and even for a hardcore baseball guy, it, it's really helped. I mean, I, I enjoyed the product more. You know, part of what I think has helped about that is they're not showing us the uh, the pitch clock on the screen. Mm-hmm. I think that's just it, it feels more like a flow of the game sort of thing than it does a guy being rushed to get a pitch to the plate. Right. But the Fox broadcast did a good job in the Rangers Astros series of pointing out a couple of times that Astros pit- pitchers in particular were waiting till that clock hit one before they started their wind up or started their their move to the plate to just try and milk as much time as possible because they are being a little bit more deliberate about things. Yeah, and th- throw off their timing a little bit, which is what you see back in the day. But yeah, we, we don't need we don't need a catcher out there fifteen times uh, in two innings. We don't yeah. need don't need the guy, you know, after every third pitch going back there and and fucking with the rosin bag and and putting his head down and collecting his thoughts and getting a breath. It's like, all right, man, pitch. Do you? Care at all about the intentional base on ball, not even requiring the pitcher to throw four balls. I don't like it. it I, don't, I don't. It I don't like that one either. It doesn't it, fire it, me up, but I, I I saw too many times in my life where that ended up going to the backstop, and you know, especially in a high pressure situation like what right. you have in the postseason, and you're intentionally walking a guy a lot of times. Sometimes there's no one on, but a lot of times because there's a guy on second and first base is open. Well, that guy gets the third. Maybe a guy on third. He gets home. I saw Daryl Strawberry. Very, very rare. So very rare. Um, But I've seen guys actually stay in there and it catches too much of the plate or close and they end up taking a swing at it and getting a fucking hit. Um, So, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think you're saving too much time with that. I, I don't like it. I, I, but it, all, like I said, it also doesn't, doesn't keep me up at night because, because it's also one of those things. I mean, we don't see that many intentional walks, you know. No, but it's just, it's just weird. It's like a team is taking the easy way out, but you're not even going to force them to execute the simplicity of throwing it to the catcher a foot off the plate. Yeah, making it too easy for these kids, Kevin. Too easy, too easy for these kids. Man, you should have seen our day, man. It snowed in Austin a lot then and uphill both ways. It's the way it worked, you know. <laughs> yes, Cooter. Kelly League did crush an intentional walk. Cooter is all over it. The question is how many mound visits does a catcher get per pitcher, per inning? Yeah, I think it's per, it's, per, it's per pitcher, and I want to say it's I want to say it's three. Mm. 
It's two for the for the obviously throwover. But I'll look that up and I'll have an answer for you on Tuesday, buddy. Sounds good. Great show, buddy. Yeah, you too. Y'all have a great one. Um, are you doing post game on Saturday? I don't know. I don't either. Let's let's discuss after. And let's, you know. Let's come together, meeting of the minds and decide. You may get you may you may get coy in Vance. There was there was a chance I was going to the game. Like I definitely want to go see Gary Clark Jr. perform, but there's also soccer this Saturday, so my my ability to be in front of a television to watch the game in general. So so you've got both kids playing soccer, and it feels like they play four soccer games a weekend, and your wife's playing soccer. Yeah, lots of soccer in this house right now. That's a lot of love on your part, man. If those three ever question if you love them and always bring up the mini soccer fields that you were at. Well, I bring nothing to the table, so I need to make these efforts at the soccer fields to keep them around. The other thing about going to the game, and it sucks with Gary Clark Jr. too, I almost wish they could postpone that and do it for tech or whatever. Because, I mean, it, you know, and I know I'm talking to you, so... 80% chance of rain, Trey. You know what that means? It's going to rain. Well, you know, I'm not one to uh, to just give people credit just to make them feel better about themselves. And that is certainly the case with the professional weather guessers. But I do need to give them credit because they've been pretty accurate this week. So congratulations, guys. You got it right. Good you got Thursday you. right on Sunday. You've gotten this entire week right going back to last weekend. And so hopefully you're getting Saturday right too. And if you're getting Saturday right, it's going to be a little bit rainy in the morning. But by the time we get to the afternoon, it's, things are really going to be clearing up. Well, I watch Zach Shields on Fox in the morning, local Fox. So Zach may be an Aggie, but I'm a big fan of his. He's a big fan of ours too. Um, listen to us on the radio and everything. And good guy, him and Dave Fralick. Dave Fralick's back from Houston, baby. Back on uh, local Fox. Dave Fralick making these names up now aren't you no no zach shields and dave fralick zach shields sounds like a superhero dave fralick sounds zach shields is a superhero because he's one of the few weather guessers who actually guesses right a lot and he doesn't just throw shit out there so he's a meteorologist then he's actually a weather scientist yeah one of those one of those like most of these guys and gals who are just piggybackers on the people doing the real work so i was uh quickly i was uh meeting someone last night um a friend um, for kind of a birthday deal, they're turning 44 or whatever, but I just stopped by and, um, it was at one of these spots where, you know, restaurant, but kind of a bar and they've got big TVs and they had Univision on and they had the, the weather, the Mexican weather girl come on. Jeez, dude, if you're going to do it, do it like that. I like how there's no PC stuff with the, with the Mexican stations, man. It's just hot ass Latinas with tight hiked up skirts and you know you know my my feeling about latinas i mean i i was half in the conversation and half just staring at the big screen trying to see what the weather is going to be like in uh in mexico city and i never really saw it precipitation that was my <laughs> that was my guess but uh i don't watch zach because of that although i would like to see zach in a skirt just 
mix it up one of these days. Let's have some fun. Well, Zach, if you're listening right now, challenge has been put out there. <laughs> All right, buddy. Enjoy soccer. Probably talk to you on Saturday. All right. Love you, brother. Right, Thanks to everybody too. for watching and listening today. Not just with this show, but throughout the morning and afternoon. Texas Sports Unfiltered. Click that thumbs up button if you did like any part of today's live stream. And you can always subscribe to Texas Sports Unfiltered on YouTube and also download the free app via the iPhone or Android. For Kevin Dunn and everybody else here at Texas Sports Unfiltered, I am Trey Elling. We will talk to you tomorrow beginning at 8 with Bucky and BK. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them.